purgatory, huh? Right. All right, all right. So we're just going to let him work that, and I'm going to work this, all right? <clears throat> well, uh, DeMarco was right. DeMarco was right. You guys are beautiful. Uh, I do have my phone with me. It's only because I will be recording this to send to my mom um, as soon as I get it to working. Um, so before I push record, if you guys can, just make sure you don't boo me at any time during my sermon. Uh, she will. All right. So it, it is started now, uh, so I'm sure she can hear me once I send it to her. So mom, love you. Hello. Um, so yeah, you guys look beautiful. I'm grateful for you. That are here, especially those that came just uh, to support me. I'm humbled um, by that um, experience. It's great to have friends and family that that love you in such a way. Um, I took I took my watch off. I don't like the word jury or anything when I speak. And Marcel said, "Well, how are you gonna know when you when to sit down?" Uh, I said, "I'm sure you will stand up and tell me to sit down." Uh, but if anybody's ever heard me preach, I'm not long at all. I try not to be. Um, even even when the Holy Spirit is moving in here, I understand that it is not moving in the nursery, and the nursery workers <laughs> will be expecting us <laughs> to get our all right. All right, gotta hit some of y'all on the way home. You all right? All right. Well, uh, for those of you that are visiting, I am not Pastor Alex. Uh, he ran a marathon yesterday, and um, he completed it, 13.1 uh, miles, I believe. Um, so congratulations. And uh, that's what we got to ask him. Did he beat his sister? That's the only thing he wanted. He did. He did. So praise God for that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, to Pastor Alex in his absence, to the elders and deacons of the church, and all of you that make up this beautiful congregation, it is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord again. Let us go to him in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this opportunity um, to be a empty vessel that you fill up to speak to your people. My prayer has always been, it is and will always be, Lord, that they see none of me and all of you. I decrease so you may increase. Um, use me, Lord, in my own special way, um, but only so that you can get glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, for those of you that, whether you have an iPhone or a Bible, um, turn to 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 7. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. I, I, love, I, love, uh, I love these guys here in the front. They, they always have their Bible. And I pay attention when Alex is preaching. Uh, he, if Alex is saying something with reference to the scripture, he looks back down in it, on it and makes sure that Alex is saying the right thing. And, um, and I appreciate that. So keep me in check. I love the babies in the um, church. I love to hear them when they, even when they're crying or laughing. I love it because it is letting us know that God is still raising up his people um, and that there, there is still life in the community. The church is still growing. The more children we have, um, the more life the church is growing up. And I'm so grateful. <clears throat> for all of you. All right, so 1 Kings, I said all that so you can have time to find it. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, it says, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. If you have a bulletin, you will see that I will be using as a thought provoker, as a subject, a thirsty man at a dried up brook. A thirsty man at a dried up brook. 
If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. All right, so question is, is everybody that clap their hands, are you really happy? Like, like I always hear the song, and I, hear, I see somebody that, I don't know, they just got beat up by their older brother, and, and they hear that tune, and they clap their hands. And say, if you're happy, you know, Shahurah, and they all Shahurah. And I look around, and I wonder, is everybody really happy? Are you really happy? Uh, I attended, I graduated from the Jackson State University, where I received my sociology degree. In order for me to graduate, I had a last class my senior year that required me to write a research paper. Now, this wasn't be my first research paper, but it would be my last and the only one that was standing in the way of me graduating. It would have to be between 20 and 25 pages long. Uh, and we had to, to find a sociological research. We had to do it on our own. And I chose the independent variables of happiness. What, var what is it out there that happiness depends on? I found six topics, and after reading articles, after articles, after articles, and after reading surveys, after surveys, and after finding numbers, and, and putting in statistics, and coming back with my own uh, numbers, uh, these six, I'll show, you, I'll show you my findings. The first thing I looked at was education. Education proved not to be a significant factor in happiness. Uh, if anything, people found out that, that there's more issues out there in this world than they ever thought. Um, and and as, many as, you, as many of you know, the more you learn, all you do is realize the more you don't really know. Uh, the second thing I looked at was religiosity. That's a fancy word to see how religious somebody is. Uh, the, the, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their religion, how religious was certain people, and did it have a factor in their happiness? Again, the answer was no. Um, many of the people were tired of trying to please the particular God that they served. Um, they were tired of working hard for them, trying to get to church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. Um, they weren't any happier than people that weren't religious. Uh, the next thing I looked at was marriage. And studies once again show that for the most part, if you was depressed when you were single and before you was married, you was depressed while you was married. And if you was happy and joyful and always dancing, that's how I dance, uh, if you were always dancing before you was married, then you were happy after you were married. Um, so once again, marriage did not uh, factor into one's happiness. I looked at race, and just long story short, whether you're black, white, blue, green, nobody is happier than the other person. White people seem to, uh, seem to be just as happy as black people and vice versa, and Hispanics, all these people, just as happy. Uh, the, la the next thing was gender. And again, women were just as happy as men and vice versa. Uh, and no matter how much you see people walking around smiling, they were just as happy as you are. Uh, and the last thing, which everybody was just on to see, all my classmates, I got an A, by the way, so you guys can listen and um, take notes. Uh, I got an A, and, and this is what everybody was waiting for, income. Did one's income factor in to one's happiness? What you guys think? Yes or no? No? Yes? Well, uh, after, I mean, it was the hard, that was the hardest part for me. Because I had to look at people's income. I had to look at how many hours they worked to get that income. I had to look at how far they had to drive to a particular job they got the income. How many people depended on the income that they worked. And once again, no. Money proved insignificant in one's happiness. It found out that the more money you got, the more you actually spent. And 
people that had a lot more money than me, they were just as anxious and worried as I was. Because for most part, if one number changed in a particular business or, or stock market or whatever, they could lose a lot of money. Um, and so I ended up summarizing or coming to the conclusion with um, the income part of my research paper. I decided to, to summarize it in the philosophical and eloquent words of the notorious B.I.G. <laughs> more money, more problems. Uh, Jay Richards... Jay Richards, in his book, Money, Greed, and God, says this. Studies suggest that once people have their basic necessities met, there's not a tight connection between one's possessions and one's happiness. The fact that you make twice as much as your second cousin doesn't mean you're twice as happy. Stuff can never be our ultimate source of happiness. Those things I named, there are brooks that eventually dry up. Whether it's your family, your friends, job, new house, new car, bubble gum, shampoo, all of these things eventually dry up. Well, then the question is, should we seek desire? Should we seek happiness? Uh, Buddhism teaches to turn off desire because either you will not get it or you will get it and not be satisfied. But that's not, that's not what my God teaches us, is it? That's not what Christianity teaches. God said that he will reveal to us, show us, give us the desires of our heart. What are these desires then that God ordains for us to seek after? I was uh, messing with Yahoo, um, and I was looking around, and it, I came upon this article that said, Eight Ways to Be Happier. Now, I'm just going to read the title of the subject, and you can look at it later. Um, it's pretty, they got some interesting suggestions. The first one was, Perform Random Acts of Kindness. Second, live in a home that's rented, not owned. Count your blessings was number three. Number four, be thrifty. I don't even know what that means. Uh, (laughs) Number five was to learn to savor positive experiences. Number six, become a parent. Nope, okay. Uh, (laughs) number, number, Number seven, take baby steps toward life goals. And the last one, which was my favorite, it says, stay healthy and live longer because happiness reaches its peaks at the age of 65. You have to be 65, according to Yahoo, before you finally get to the level of happiness that you want. My question to you is, what happens when 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7 happens in your life? So many people are trying to find out the keys to happiness, discover the way for one to be happy. I think Elijah here has something to tell us when it comes to how we should be happy. What do we see our satisfaction in? Well, real quick, before I, before I look at the book, let's look at how Elijah gets to where he's at. I believe, and I didn't do the research, so I could be wrong, but I believe that this point, this special point, the significance all started in chapter 16, verse 28. The Bible records that King Omri, King Ahab's father, dies, and Ahab is now king. Now, for you that don't know Omri or Omri, how you want to pronounce it, this, to me, is bad news as I'm reading it. This is bad news because I know Omri. I know about him. I I know about Omri and all the things he did. The Bible records in uh, 16, uh, verse 30, that he, Omri, did more evil than all those, more evil than all those before him. Have you ever heard of like father, like son? I know it was in the Goof Troop song, uh, 
Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, you're going to be just like your daddy or you ain't nothing but your daddy? You heard that before? Well, I, I, to a certain extent, I believe that. And so when I see that Ahab is about to take over the position as king, I'm worried. Because Omri did more evil than all of those before him. If we look at Abraham and his son Isaac, Abraham was walking with his wife in chapter 12 of Genesis and Sarah, and, they, and he sees that, that these men might find Sarah attractive. And so he says, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to say that you're my sister and not my wife so I can live. Then we go to chapter 26. Isaac is walking with his wife, Rebecca, and he gets the same idea when he's walking through a foreign land. Tell them you're my sister, not my wife, so that my life can... Uh, we look at David and Solomon. David and Solomon were probably the greatest two kings in all of Israel's history. Uh, David had a problem, though. Y'all know what the problem was? He loved women too much. He loved them too much. And then we get to his son Solomon. His son Solomon, and of all the wisdom he has, all the money he has, he ended up falling in love with too many women because they would turn his heart after their own gods. Jesus was like his father. Joseph was a carpenter, and Jesus was a carpenter. That's the only relation I can have with them two. Uh, but Jesus did say this. He said this. He said, if you've seen the father, then you've seen the son. You've seen me. Like father, like son. I'm worried because King Omri dies, and Ahab is now king. And to me, that is bad news. So we look at verse 30, uh, 25, and Omri has done more evil than all those before him. We get to verse 30, and it says the exact same thing about Ahab. Ahab done, did more evil than all of those before him. And then you go down to verse 33. It's concerning Ahab. It goes to the next level and says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. My brother and sister, we have a problem like father like children we have a father too we all have a father in common his name is adam and as adam was a sinner we have something in common with our father we too are sinners. that's why christ said you got to be born again you got to be born through the second adam like father like son well he uh ahab you guys i know you read it and you're like yep he did more than everybody else to provoke the lord and oh this is a big deal what did he do the Bible says that he found it a light thing, a trivial thing. He didn't see a big deal with walking in the ways of King Jeroboam. Well, what did Jeroboam do? Jeroboam stole part of the kingdom of Israel from Rehoboam. And because he was scared that if they kept going to Jerusalem and worshiping Yahweh, the people may turn on him and he may lose that kingdom, he set up false gods and told two, in two different trials, he set them up and said, hey, this is a shorter distance. Um, you can just walk here and worship. These are really the gods that set you free from Egypt. Jeroboam brought in idolatry and condoned it. The, the one thing that God hates the most, breaking the first two commandments. And so we find that apparently Ahab is allowing idolatry. How do I know this? Well, he marries Jezebel. Now, you guys, if you haven't even read the Bible, you know Jezebel just isn't supposed to be a good woman in the Bible. And she wasn't. He marries her, king of Athbel. Um, she, she serves or worship a god named Baal, B-A-A-L. And what, what happened? Same thing that happened with, with Solomon and so many other people. Him marrying her turned his heart from Yahweh, their God, our God, and he started worshiping Baal. 
Not only did he worship Baal, not only did he offer up sacrifices, he built a temple for Baal in the land of Yahweh. He built a statue, and he worshiped and bowed down before it. This man is bad. Bad. Not the way you mean it, Jeremiah. Bad as in really bad. Bad. What else does he do? He, he, he walks in the ways of Jeroboam, uh, marries Jezebel, worships Baal, sets up statues. Um, and I'm doing this as if it's a light thing, huh? And uh, then he raises up one more statue. I, I, I'm not good with the Old Testament language. Uh, Asherah, a female goddess, and has them uh, worship that as well. And God tells Elijah, Elijah has to go to him and tell him how wrong, how bad he is. Elijah names mean Yahweh is my God. And that's what it means. And he has to go to Ahab, who's worshiping Baal, and say, hello, my name is Elijah. I worship God. Yahweh is my God. And he has to tell him that you are wrong. I believe, my brothers and sisters on the village church, that there's many people in our life that God wants you to be courageous. Now, this isn't a small thing for uh, Elijah. This, is, this has to be scary. This guy is, has done more to provoke the Lord to anger than anybody else. And he has to walk up to him and tell him about himself. We have friends and family that God wants us to be courageous and say, look, I know you're worshiping money. I know you're worshiping cars, clothes, girls, Buddha, Muhammad, or the God of Muhammad. But I worship Yahweh. And thus says the Lord, you are wrong. You're bad. This is sin. <clears throat> well, uh, Yahweh does, uh, Elijah does it. And he tells him, Ahab, there'll be no rain in this land for some years unless by my word. What does this mean? Is this significant? Very significant. Baal is the God of rain. <laughs> wow. And so when Yahweh, when Elijah tells him that Yahweh isn't going to allow rain, he's not saying, oh, I just want y'all to be thirsty. No, he's saying, I'm going to show you who the real God is. And to show you that Baal isn't God, there won't be rain. And according to the New Testament, this, this, there was no rain for three and a half years. And if you read later on in the first king, that still didn't change them. That still didn't change them. Their hearts were already hardened. There will be no rain. Unless by God's word. Well, I told you he was bad. He put a death penalty on, uh, on Elijah. So God sends him eastward, hides him, and uh, shareth by this brook. And he says, Elijah, go to this brook where you would drink from, from it, and I will have ravens bring you bread and meat morning and evening. And Elijah does it, and he's fed, and he, it's, it, it pays. It, it's, it's a good thing for you to obey God. It's a good thing. Just, just trust me on that. It sounds weird sometimes. It's going to be a drought, and I'm going to go to this river or brook, and I'm going to be able to drink water from it. And not only that, but I'm going to have some birds, some ravens come and bring me food, meat, and bread. It sounds weird. It sounds just about as weird as God saying, I know you found this very comfortable big church with people that love you, and, and they have at least 13 TVs, and, and you get to eat there every Sunday. But I want you to move to the village church. It's about that weird. It's about as weird as it's about as weird as me uh, coming out of a particular neighborhood that has the abuse of drugs and alcohol and and the abuse of sex and and and, and to leave um, impoverished homes and 
and low-income families. It's about the same as me going to college for four years, working my behind off per se. Uh, Don't hold me accountable to that. Uh, Going to college, graduated with a degree, and then God said, now move back to the area you just left, or at least the area similar to it. It's about this strange, but it pays. It pays to do what God says because he gets there and he is fed. I get here and Marcel feeds me. Thank God the raven. God sent ravens. Some of you had a cookie. You ought to say hallelujah. Uh, It pays to do what God says. So he's there. He's drinking from the brook. The birds bring him food. I don't know where they bring it from. I'm sure it's a long journey. Elijah say good morning, uh, black bird. The black bird say good morning, Elijah. He, he goes to the brook. The bird is tired, so he drinks a little from the brook. He flies back. Elijah prays. He praises God. He prayed on his knee. He, he soaks in the words of God. The bird comes back. Good, good afternoon, Elijah. Good afternoon, black bird. Give him food. He drink water, fly back off. And the Bible says in verse 7, after a while, the brook dries up. What do you do when your brook dries up? Uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his sermon, Shattered Dreams, says there are four reactions we can have when our highest hopes are not satisfied. I'm going to go through these four. Bear with me. Uh, but he put in such words that I, I, couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. He said the first way, the first reaction we can have is to transform our frustrations into a core of bitterness and resentment. He said, said they just mean that this person loves no one and requires love from no one. The same with trust. He finds fault in everything and everybody, and he continually complains. And he says such a reaction always end up harming that person more than anybody else. The second way uh, we can react is to withdraw completely into ourselves from the world, from people, from everything, just withdraw. He said this is just called detachment, being detached, too unconcerned to love and too passionless to hate, too detached to be selfish and too lifeless to be unselfish, too indifferent to experience joy and too cold to experience sorrow. They are neither dead or alive. They merely exist. The third way is to believe that whatever happens must happen and that all events are determined by necessity. They believe that man has no freedom. And because freedom is a part of the essence of man, by denying freedom, they become a puppet instead of a person. These are the ways that uh, if you if you have any kind of sense, you don't want to you don't want to react this way. Uh, but then he says the answer lies in our willing acceptance of unwanted and unfortunate circumstances. That even in the midst of we still cling to our hope. He said that this can be best summarized and best explained in the words of Jeremiah when he said, "This is a grief, and I must bear it." I was talking to somebody outside. Uh, a couple of days ago, and he said, you know, people are always going to God and telling him how big their problem is. He said, I believe we need to start going to our problem and telling it how big our God is. That's the reaction we need to have when our brook dries up. How is Elijah going to handle this small but crucial trial in his life? If he gives up now, if he turns his back on God now, 
he, he turns his back and leaves the only thing left in his life. You know, people, they, they join the Christian race. They, they believe in Christianity, and then they, they turn back from it. And I, I start scratching my head and say, turn back to what? What else is there to go to? What could you possibly find outside of Christianity that, that is more comforting, that is more presence of God? What else is there? Jesus was preaching and people started getting mad. I don't know, he was probably talking about money or sex, but they got mad and, and they started to leave him and they started to walk away. And he looked at his disciples and said, you're going to leave too? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I made up my mind a long time ago that for God I will live and for God I will die. But blessed be the name of the Lord. God said, faithful over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many. How is Elijah going to handle this small but very crucial trial in his life? If he can't handle this, this is a brook drying up. If he can't handle the brook drying up, can God trust him to go to the widow and supply a multitude of bread and oil? If, if, if Elijah can't handle the brook drying up, can God really trust him to send him to the widow and so when her son died, uh, Elijah can raise him back up from the dead? If he can't handle the brook drying up, can God send him back to, to uh, Ahab who has a penalty on his head, a death penalty? And can he send him back to Ahab and have him challenge the prophets of Baal if he can't handle the brook drying up? My brothers and sisters, what you're going through now isn't something that anyone hasn't already went through. It is a small, it may be crucial, but it's only a small thing in your life. And God asked Jeremiah, if you can't run with the men, how do you expect to run with the horses? How Henry Coffin, in his sermon, Inspirations That Fail, says that the main reason that God uh, sent Elijah on this course was to give him a confidence that was depending on outside resources. It was to get him, and oftentimes we as believers, our brook dries up to get us to the point where we have to look around, family is dried up, friends are dried up, job is dried up, and we have to utter, even though it may be mumbling and, and, and shallow and we may have a hoarse throat, that God is my sufficiency. God is enough. I had a friend ask me, senior year, I had a really tough senior year, junior year two, and they asked me on a piece of paper, is God enough? And I text him back facetiously, of course, no, God is not enough. But he wasn't. God isn't enough. God is more than enough. And as the words of Lecrae say, he's more than enough, but he's never too much. God is my sufficiency. God settled him down by the brook. Elijah is trusting God to supply his every need at this brook. And all of a sudden, the brook dries up. Why does our brooks dry up? If the brook kept on flowing, I believe Elijah would have counted on it. He would not have saw that it was a much of a necessity or a need for God because my brook is flowing just fine. The means by which God maintains us often puts in, becomes a barrier to which we block God off. Paul says this about people in Romans. He said they came to the point where they served creation instead of the creator. And that's something we have to be careful with. We have to make sure we don't get to the point 
where we begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver. God is our sufficiency. Sometimes God will plan your life in a way that your life gets you to the point where you're so thirsty. You're so thirsty to the point where you realize that only one person can quench this thirst. And that's when the point, when you get to the point you say, God is enough. God is my joy. God is my only source of happiness. Jesus on the cross. He yelled out or he murmured the words, I thirst. And that that tricked me real good. Because I was wondering, I thought the whole time, this man, he's been beaten. He's been walking miles with a heavy cross on his shoulder. He's been crying and sweating. He wants some water. Maybe some Gatorade will help Christ say, I no longer thirst. But that's not what he was thirsting after. What was he thirsty for? A brook in his life had dried up. He looked at his families. They couldn't do anything for him. His disciples, half of them abandoned him. The other half denied him. But that's not what he was thirsty for. They, they, they got a sponge. They, they dipped it in some water and vinegar, and they, they held it up to his mouth. And that's not what he was thirsty for. Because I heard him say while he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he was thirsty for. God is the only thing that could have quenched his thirst on the cross. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. We have a physical and a spiritual aspect of life. And I'm getting ready to go to my clothes, but we must understand that the physical part can give us temporary pleasures. But only the Holy Spirit can give us an eternity of joy. My question is, are you thirsty? How do I know I'm thirsty? You'll know you're thirsty because you can go to bed and you can get some sleep, but you can't get rest. You'll know you're thirsty because you'll go to work and you'll come back and you'll have money, but you won't have treasure. You'll go to school and you'll get education, but you won't have wisdom. You're thirsty. You can have pleasure without joy. People today are thirsty. They have lust without love. They have emotion without devotion. They got birth control but no self-control. That's how you know people are thirsty. But when Christ fills you up, you can say, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When Christ fills you up, you can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Shout for joy to God all the earth. When Christ fills you up, you're going to echo the black pastor in Morton, Mississippi, when he said, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. When Christ satisfies you, you can echo the words of Paul when he said, I'm afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. Anybody in here thirsty? Well, I know a man. And this man said, come unto me, all of you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I can give you rest. This man warned him. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And they tested him by stretching him on the cross, nailing his hands and nailing his feet. And they raised him up high. And I know he was drawing all men, all people to him, because the centurion soldier said, surely this must be the Son of God. 
He died. Y'all believe he died? He had to die because he lived. So now the, the, the real important question is, do you believe he rose? And if he rose, then you must believe in his words when he said, I'm coming back. Will you be ready when my Lord come back? I end um, with these words. <clears throat> God never denies us of a source of happiness without supplying us with a much greater one. If our brook dries up, it's only so we can be reminded that there is a fountain of life that is ever flowing. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>